All right, everybody. Welcome to this, our 60-something episode of Dojo Universe. And um, as far as I know, Carl and Vin are out there in the world. Um, I am. Vin, are you? Oh, yep, I can hear you. Nice and maybe a little bit on the loud side, but that's cool. So uh, today is going to be an Ask Us Anything class. We've already got some good topics down there, but make sure um, anything that you think of, you type in. With that said, um, we're doing, Carl and I have some meetings this afternoon, so uh, it's going to be a not full hour episode today. We're going to be, you know, 30 or 40 minutes, maybe tops. So just keep that in mind. And let's see what else we got. Um, oh, yeah, I was, my mic was on, apparently. So did I say anything incriminating before the show, Vin? No, nothing incriminating, but I could, I could hear your keyboard skills. Oh, yeah. It's like a machine gun. You learn how to type pretty quick uh, uh, doing what we do. I was, you know, sometimes I mutter under my breath about Carl. And so I was hoping I I didn't accidentally do that, you know, Uh, but apparently I'm I'm good. So let's get down to some of these questions right off the bat. Why don't we? Okay. Let's start with Steve. Steve says he's consistently playing just ahead of the beat and throwing off my timing in the band and with solo music. Uh, and he says he's playing the men of Argyle in solo competition, and he's definitely having that problem. So, um, so what do we think? What do we think? I think just ahead of the beat, my advice yeah. would be to get to get on it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know. Yeah. So I think Steve, um, the best advice I could offer in this case is don't do that. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Okay. So I think this is definitely a problem that, that we hear occasionally with students. And the name of the game for me is um, to start to practice and to uh, create exercises that teach you how to play to your foot. Okay. That is the, uh, to me, that is a secret. And that's, that's what I have done um, to really develop a super degree of control. Okay, so I think what happens is we tend to jump the gun sometimes because we get kind of nervous. And then at any point in a piece of pipe music where we become challenged, we, um, we start to rush things and we feel control. So everything that I practice and everything that I develop, my foot is always in the equation. Okay, and I'm, I'm making sure everything I play is attached to my foot, especially um, the key note changes and the key embellishments. I always know exactly how they're going to tie into my foot. Okay? Um, so hopefully Steve's still out there and he's, he's hearing what I'm saying. Now, your foot, okay, remember that playing ahead of the beat doesn't, it's not really, um, it doesn't really have to do with steadiness. It has to do with control. Okay? So is it possible, yeah. that, your, is it possible that your foot will change tempos? Yes, that's possible. But uh, we need to teach ourselves to play to our foot. And then all we need to do at that point okay, is teach our foot to line up with uh, whatever it is that we're trying to do. So whether it's uh, pl- play nice and steady, play at a certain tempo, okay, or if we're in the band, we're teaching our foot um, to line up with, um, let's say, the pipe major's foot. That, that's a simple, simplified um, example. But, you know, if, if I'm tapping my foot at the same time the pipe major is, okay, um, as long as I'm playing all my technique to the foot, everything is going to line up really well. Yeah, because that's and I think you know if you if you if you Steve if you're working on that things will steadily probably adjust if you're focused on that 
that task. You know, you know, if you you've got your sort of beats and you're ahead of them, but everything in between them is also not <laughs> timed correctly either. So they'll they'll start to line up if you're focused on that foot. If you're sort of bringing that control into the equation, um, things will sort of balance, start balancing out, and you'll start to hear it too, probably. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that's really difficult to overcome, uh, but it's because, generally speaking, it's not because of an inability to do that, okay? It's because of an unwillingness to be patient with it. So let's take a, let's take a tune like Scotland the Brave, for example. All right, now, we have, as pipers, we have a desperate desire to play this amazingly sweet and patriotic melody um, all the way through. It's Scotland the Brave, right? However... To develop our musicianship, we're going to have to break it down. So we're going to, so for example, we're going to start with a terlueth on low A, and we're going to just play that terlueth in a, in a in a repeat pattern. We're going to make an exercise out of it, and we're going to practice playing that terlueth right to our foot. Okay, and only once we feel comfortable with that are we going to integrate it into the tune. And we're not going to play the whole tune. We're going to play the first bar of the tune. Okay, so maybe I would do something like this. Whoops, on the assumption my chanter read works. That's going to be my little repeat exercise that I'm going to do. Talk about hearing someone type. I think that's Vin. All right. You know, we'll do that and we'll do that again. And that's going to be my first objective is let's play that first bar totally to the foot. And you can't really see my foot right now, but, and I'm focusing on it. And then maybe there's a spot that's not as good as it needs to be. And we're going to isolate that spot. We're going to work on it until we get it right. And then we're going to reintegrate it into that small phrase. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, it's, and that's, and again, you know, as far as like tools to, to accomplish this as well, you know, it's, you know, the metronome is, is the, uh, you know, that's the tool, <laughs> you know, if, yeah. you get used to, if you get used to using that to sort of fix these kinds of things, um, playing to, you know, getting developing the control to play with your foot and get sort of synchronized that way is a lot easier, I think. I think it's a, you know, the metronome, is, you just have to be careful, right? So I actually recommend uh, doing it without the metronome, at least, uh, at least until you get the point of the exercise, which is to mm -hmm. play to the foot. Because if we just start right off with the metronome, it's, it's really easy to just yeah, try to listen or look at the metronome and try to line it up. And it can be confusing and it throws you off and you're not really sort of right. integrating the lesson, you know. So for me, the secret is um, as we can use a metronome and that's going to, you know, help keep our foot honest. But the overall objective has to be to play with the foot. So anyway, Sean, hopefully that or sorry, Steve, hopefully, Steve, that uh, that's helpful and uh, it will get you pointed in the right direction. Yeah, he, he also mentions that when he gets to the hard part, he tends to stop his foot and get through it. And that would be like, don't do that either. You know, you got to muscle through it. You know, you got to like, you got to, you got to struggle and you're going to struggle for a little while until it starts to feel a little more comfortable and you develop that control. Um, you know, because I guess it's so new, it might, you know, it's normal. In other words, I guess, <laughs> you know, don't, don't feel like, you know, you're never going to get it. I think it's, it's normal to be sort of, um, sort of struggling a little bit on those hard parts, you know, but if you yeah. break it down, as Andrew said, I think, you, I think you'll get through it and you'll start to feel it becomes a little bit easier. Okay. Steve's next question. I, uh, he, so he, he submitted a second question here having to do with blowing. So he's having problems with stability. Within a tune, he overblows or the channel will cut out, and all the while he's feeling like he's expending a lot of energy 
without getting the results that he needs. Um, and yes, and it's definitely, you're right, Steve, it's a feel and coordination issue. Okay, so we have to balance the blowing and the squeezing. All right, and uh, and I don't know, Steve, I'm not quite sure, um, you know, Steve, if you're familiar with our manometer program that we have at DojoU, but we use manometers to help us develop the skill of blowing and squeezing. Okay, so Steve, maybe you can give me some feedback yeah. there. That could be that could be you know contributing to your difficulties and sort of you know into your rhythm and timing and stuff as well. You know, if you're struggling with your blowing, you're certainly not going to be uh, you're going to be distracted from playing decent music. You know, so yeah. if you can be, I think they, they they all work in tandem. You know. Yeah, I think again, Steve, uh, this is some advice for you. Is here's here's the biggest mistake a lot of pipers make is they try to play tunes on their bagpipes long before they have developed good blowing fundamentals. Um, yeah, so Steve, I highly recommend going to the Dojo website, pipersdojo.com, and um, uh, purchasing our manometer because um, we, we make it super easy to use and there's not going to be water shooting everywhere. So, uh, But anyway, uh, back to developing blowing fundamentals. So here's the deal. Until you actually feel 100% comfortable and – things start to sound really nice. Every practice session on your bagpipes needs to start by playing a low A, okay, uh, and low A only, uh, and just, uh, you know, practicing the coordination of blowing, okay? So here's what I would do. I'd spend the first five minutes of a practice session playing low A only and working on getting it as steady as you can, okay? And then step two is let's spend another five minutes going up the scale, and what I want you to do is I want you to spend 10 seconds on each note of the scale, all right? And the objective there is when you change notes, the blowing has to stay perfectly steady. Now, if you have a manometer, this is super easy because you can see your steadiness, but even if you don't have it, it's still a good exercise. You just have to use your imagination and, and your observation skills and make sure you get it. But the first five minutes, low A only, and the second five minutes is going up and down the scale, uh, playing one note every 10 seconds, okay? And the objective there is to not change your blowing when your fingering changes, okay? Now, once you do that for a while and you start to feel really comfortable with that, then you're going to start doing two minutes on low A and three minutes going up and down the scale and the, the rest of the five minutes playing the easiest tune you can imagine, the easiest tune that you know making sure that none of the blowing changes. And you do that for five minutes. And then you go on with your practice session. We're gonna do this every day. We're gonna establish a rhythm of developing it, okay? Then, then as you get good at that, all right, then we're gonna go back and we're gonna get rid of the low A thing and the scale thing. And we're just gonna spend the first five minutes on a super easy tune, thinking only about our blowing, and the next five minutes on a slightly harder tune focusing on the blowing, and then we'll move on with the rest of our practice session, right? Now, if you actually successfully did this five days a week, okay, uh, by the end of the month, you would no longer have these coordination problems that you talk about. Does that make sense, Steve? That, that would be my strategy for you. That would, be my, that would be how I would fix that problem, and within 30 days, you're going to be awesome. Okay, let's move on. Let's move on uh, to the next question, because I think there's quite a few here. Okay, Carl, yes or no on using Teflon tape? Yeah, you bet. Um, I would say depends. 
Um, I would use Teflon tape perhaps on a blow stick um, joint only because it gets a huge amount of moisture. That's going to help save your, your hemp a little bit. But what I would not use it for is drone or um, any of the any of the, the stocks that go or any of the joints that go into your stocks or reed pins. So it's basically any other stock. And here's why. Teflon is a great lubricant. Um, so it works really well for keeping your eggs from sticking to a pan. Um, but what it doesn't do well is keep your drones from sliding. So what we have to do in order to use Teflon on drones is put way more on and make the joints super, super tight so that they don't slip. Uh, and there are some nice, perhaps, threading um, features of, of it when you do that, but I, I don't really like that. I don't like the threading option. I like to move my drones how much I want, you know, however fast I want to move them. Um, and, and so it, it's really a, a risk to your pipes using them because you have to make the joints that much tighter. Uh, using something simple like uh, beeswax, which has a, not, a high natural tack to it, um, allows you to make the joints a lot less tight um, still airtight, mind you, but um, we don't have to make them super, super tight, and they're still easy to move um, with, with a little twist. So I would say no, with the exception, perhaps, of the blow stick. Uh, yeah, I mean, the other point of this, too, is that Teflon is an abrasive. It's not necessarily a uh, sort of smooth material. You know, it seems smooth, um, and it is harder than the wood you're putting it into, even though it's soft, sort of stretchy tape. Technically, it is harder. So to over time, that's going to wear on the inside of your, whatever you're sticking it in. So it's going to, it's going to wear on the inside of your stocks, inside of your drone. So a lot of pipe makers will recommend it, will not recommend it. Like will actually tell you flat out, don't use this <laughs> because it's, it just, it just doesn't, it wears on you. And beeswax is soft. It hemp is soft. It's all softer than the wood. So it's never going to really wear uh, on the inside. So. Okay. Good topics. So, um, yeah, generally speaking, I find that wax hemp is just as good as Teflon, uh, and and less and you know at least presumably a little bit less harmful to your instrument. So so that's why I'm I'm. Uh, by the way, it's a lot less work too. You know, <laughs> not using Teflon, uh, things can happen faster. All right, let's move on. Um, now this one, uh, Vin especially. Okay, this is a sh this has to be a short topic. We can't talk for forty minutes on this. <laughs> As tempting as it may be, so good question though. What can we do as lo uh, what can we as local bands do to promote Highland Games? Small games can't or won't afford competitions, so organizations like EOSPBA won't help, which would make them grow. We are losing one local games, and I'm afraid we others will not make a go of it. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's a tricky problem, and it's always been there. You know, um, our our activity is tied to the fate of these festivals and inappropriately in my opinion um but in you know on the other hand you just, we will rely on them and if you want to be active as a band or solos you, you really need to be out there so how do you be out there as much as possible and you don't want to waste your time either right so you don't want to go these games and have them sort of crumbling under your feet as you're out there trying to sort of hone your craft as it were but, um, you know, as far as support goes, I think I've always been a big believer in um, the offline uh, support. Like our typical approach has always been, oh, let's, you know, let's sanction the games and let the games uh, promote itself. And hopefully the bands and solos will show up, you know, 
And normally that happens based on region. So if your regional games has, you know, a thing going on, you know, it's the local bands and souls that show up. But I've, I've always been a believer that you should take matters in your own hands. Um, if you want a competition at these games, then go out and sort of seek out the bands that you're going to be competing against, you know, try and, try and get them to buy into the idea of coming to these events so they can grow if it's really something that could be meaningful down the, down the road. You know, if it's going to be beneficial to everybody, then everybody should be jumping on, on board, you know, to make, make the extra travel maybe or, you know, take the extra effort to actually show up and compete against a good number of bands if you can muster that, you know. Um, instead of relying on the games to sort of promote themselves and hope everybody shows up, you know, make sure everybody shows up. You know, and we can all do that kind of part to, to do that. Um, we can all play a part. You know, we all know each other. You know, a lot of the bands know each other. And you can easily contact these folks and, and, and get them thinking about maybe getting together to hold a contest. So, in other words, like taking more responsibility for the competition instead of letting the games take responsibility. You know what I mean? Does that make any yeah. sense? It does make sense. Here's one thing. Here's one thing. Uh, here's one thing I'd like to throw out there as a rhetorical question that I don't know the answer to. But what would happen if what Les is saying? What would happen if it all happened at once? So every Highland Games that exists um, stopped having uh, competitions. What would we do about that? Exactly. <laughs> now th that's the that's the thing to think about. And then, um, and uh, obviously, I'm sure there are lots of ideas. But the thing I might I want to put out there is, if that happened, okay, if our worst nightmare came true, what would we do? And then the thing I'd like to throw out there is, I think we should start moving in that whatever direction that is. I think we should start moving in that direction today, because it seems to be gradually happening over time. Yeah. Um, the trend is the trend is definitely uh, reduced games. I mean, that's the, the you know, a lot of these festivals that are out there are hanging on by a thread, you know. And I, I keep saying all the time, they're like one rainy day from extinction, and it's true in a lot of cases. It's a lot of well-known games, uh, you know, if they have one rainy weekend, one year, they're done, you know, and they and they won't be able to hold their festival anymore. So, is is that really where we want to put our eggs? <laughs> you know, is that the basket we want to put our eggs? You know, it's like it's like we we, we kind of rely on this, but. It's the bigger the association gets and the more competitive activity there is, the more strain that's going to put on, you know, sort of the venues that we've come to rely on, you know. So I, I just don't think our fate should be tied that closely, you know. Um, like you said, it's like if, if, if half the games disappeared all at once, what would we do, you know. Um, and, you have to, and you have to be able to come up with those answers. And there is no answer right now, um, officially. You know, the official word is that there is no plan <laughs> for if that happens or when that happens, you know? So, yeah. Um, a couple of things that come up here and I will, I want to challenge both of them. Games are trending down because the Braveheart effect has passed. I challenge that only because um, the movie Brave came out last year. And I think Scottish culture is more on the, you know, on the minds of the American family than it has been in a long yeah. time. Uh, Braveheart yeah, and was, you know, even, Scotland yeah, itself is like, is like all proud and national now. You know, yeah. there's like all this, uh, you know, Scottish pride and there's all kinds of ac traditional activities going on all year long in Scotland. And I think, you know, that that kind of, tr you know, cultural um, identity is n has never been more prominent, you know. Yeah. Then now Jim says, remember, the games pull in the money. No one will come and pay money to even to hear even the best pipe bands. I challenge that as well. OK, um, only because there are other places on Earth like the World Pipe Band Championships, where thousands and thousands of people 
storm in there, they pay their entry fee so that they can hear good pipe bands. I think, um, I think in, in the American culture, what you're saying is somewhat true, uh, but I challenge that that should be the case or needs to be the case. And then Gary says, money is the answer. What can the games do to bring in the dollars to support future games? And that is, I think that's it. So my answer to the question, like if all of the Highland games stopped having competitions, what would we bagpipe competitors need to do? And the answer is we need to figure out how to, um, how to develop an enthusiasm for what we do. We need to figure out how to raise large amounts of money. Right. Um, Because right now we're right now we are asking Highland Games to give money to something with very little in return on the assumption that uh, what you're saying is true, that no one will come to hear even the best pipe bands. If that's actually true, then what we're doing is we are begging uh, we are begging establishments to give us free money. Um, And then and therefore uh, and therefore, if that's true, then we're doomed yeah, it's it's definitely true. It's, and, you know, and I think, you know, if, as far as, you know, the sort of pomp and circumstance of it all and the display of it all, I mean, we are our own evangelists here. And, and I think if we, um, you know, our enthusiasm for what we do can easily spill over into a general crowd. So if we if we're able to sort of muster together as a community, the activity that we hope to see that we want to see, you know, for ourselves, then the public will feed on that. You know, and then and then a festival that sort of is the sort of beneficiary of that will will reap the benefits as well. You know, um, you know, I, I and and those are sort of big picture type things, and it's and it, those things don't happen overnight. You know, but uh, I think you know I just don't like the fact that we rely on the games to give us money. You know, like yeah, so give us money. You know, hold an event. Here's what you have to do. Here's here's the rules you have to follow, and here's how much money you're going to have to spend. But the only thing you get is a bunch of guys in kilts playing bagpipes and drums <laughs> and, uh, and a mass band at the end. You know, so it's, it's it really does. It's not a whole lot. It's not a pretty, it's not, you know, it's, it's a prospect. If you read that in a contract, you'd probably, you know, give it back <laughs> to somebody. You know, it's like, well, you know, this is not good enough. You know? Les says, what percentage of the crowd at the Worlds is not associated with piping to begin with? Um, I, the answer to that is tens of thousands. Yeah, a large amount. Way yeah. more people are not associated with piping than are associated with piping. That are you kidding? Up. Every year that we're there, we ask the cab drivers for their predictions of who's going to win. And the cab drivers know. Like These, these guys are following it. So yeah. there, there are lots of people. And, and, and there are people who like have opinions. You know, the people in the crowd are watching bands and they're making comments on how, how they sound and they're not pipers, <laughs> just the general guys and girls in, in the crowd that like this stuff, you know? Yeah. I mean, and so Jim is, Jim says there's just no way that could ever happen in the United States. We're not. Yeah, in it's, it's a good point. Well, you know, it's, it's, well, but I think that, I think that attitude and outlook, I think that attitude and outlook is, um, you know, uh, I think, I think most people have that attitude and outlook, but that's, I think that's what's killing us uh, yeah. slowly. Most people don't really know, you know, like, I, I mean, my, my, my daughter Highland does, you know, she dances, she does Highland dance. And uh, one of her big, you know, sort of annoyances really is, is that she has to explain herself whenever any of her peers sort of ask her what she does or what this is, you know, and people. And the fact of the matter is people just don't know, you know, they just in, in an American crowd coming to a Highland Games, the majority of them have never seen a pipe band or the only time they've ever seen a pipe band is in, you know, a St. Patrick's Day parade. So. We have a, a double duty here in, in actually educating the public 
you know, as to what we do, as well as sort of providing the display that, you know, we want to see. Um, and, and like I said, again, it's like we are our own evangelists. Like we, that education comes with time. And if we, you know, our enthusiasm will be infectious, I think. I believe that if we were able to sort of sustain it at a level that matters, you know. Um, but when we're playing at struggling games that are falling, you know, like dominoes all around us, it makes it hard, right? So you gotta, I guess we got to focus our efforts or something. I don't know. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think um, I think there's just a lot for me. There's a lot of things that don't make sense. I think that, um, and and uh, I don't mean this, uh, you know, I don't mean this in necessarily a negative way. Um, although, you know, I'm definitely a, a critic of the USPBA, but I mean this respectfully. Uh, but you know, I feel like what we have right now culturally, where we are in the world, we're we're in gridlock. Um, it's too big. We can't decide what direction we want to go. Um, and then there's also a big, there's also a big, um, there's a big uh, contingency of people in the, in, in the community that are, um, re are really, really married to uh, ideas that are not sustainable or, or uh, really, really focused on things that don't actually help this problem. For, let, let me give you an example. Um, intricacies of, Intricacies of PBROC is a good example. Uh, interpretation of PBROC or PBROC education. Uh, now, I love PBROC. Uh, I'm a you know five-time prize winner at the Silver Medal in Scotland. I've spent a lot of time. It's one of my favorite things. Um, however, I don't think it's a high priority uh, for our uh, association. Um, you know, and reason being, we need to focus on issues like we're talking about here. Okay, people don't want to come to the games to hear pipe bands or piping. When's the last time you saw a crowd at a solo competition? Um, the answer is, I don't know, 20 years ago, you know, uh, in the Grove at Round Hill or something. I don't know. Yes. Maybe you saw. I had, a nice, I had a nice couple give me some nice comments on my performance a couple years ago. They yeah. were like the only two but people like, watching. But you know what I'm saying? Like the issue here is the issue here is that um, the issue here is what we're doing is not culturally relevant. Now, my point about PBROC is not that it's, it's obviously an extremely valuable thing, but there's no way it can survive uh, until we can provide some sort of uh, cultural relevance to, to the whole thing that we do. Meanwhile, let's say we can actually work up to having 10 times the participation. Well, then we're going to have 10 times the interest in PBROC, right? And it's going to be able to really, really flourish. Right. Like they're managing to, I mean, I would say Scotland has undergone a massive renaissance in all aspects of piping in the past 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, ten, 10 years ago, you know, uh, British Columbians primarily uh, were spanking the pants off people in Scotland. And, uh, you know, but now that's not necessarily the case. Now, Scotland, you know, Scotland and the scene over there, uh, due to what, you know, due to, you know, huge efforts being made to, uh, put the art form out there and for people to have a chance to see it. You know, I think piping live, piping live is one of the greatest things ever to happen to piping. Now, it's harder for, it's harder to do that here. We don't have a, an infrastructure um, that can help that, but um, why can't we do something like piping live uh, or, you know, with that vibe, why can't that yeah. happen in our community? Exactly. Because what, you know, what really happens typically is that if you get enough concentration of interested people in one place, people who aren't, necessarily part of the same community become interested in what's going on 
<laughs> you know, this is what's happening here, you know, and then the next thing you know, you have actually people taking an interest in actually checking it out and, and maybe learning a few things and maybe finding that they like this, you know, that, wow, this is pretty cool. I want to, I want to, when this comes around again, I will come back, you know, yeah, um, totally. that's the kind of feeling I think we need to send out there almost on a continual basis, you know? Um, I think, I think another thing too is I think, um, I think th- I think we do too many things to counteract um, to counteract what would bring people back. Like for me, I love great music. Um, how often are we hearing truly great music at the games? Right? Um, Hale says he finds it frustrating as a player, uh, you know, in a band to pay for the band to enter the contest. Right? And then, yeah, what guarantee is there that uh, you'll come home with any money? And you know, and and for me, at a higher level, what guarantee is there that the games will be run? Uh, you know, to a um, to a standard that allows for great music making to occur. You know, um, people who know me know I'm a big critic of what we're doing in that respect. It's too disorganized. It's too hard to make the great music that we need to make, and um, you know, uh, to you know, which would attract the audiences that we need to attract. Yeah, I mean, you know, and it's like if you get down to economics, if it all boils, if that's the the sort of approach you're going to have because, you know, it does play a large part in, in everything on all of this. But um, at the same time, you know, what would you do if band entry fees were sort of tripled <laughs> what they were now, you know, because that's the kind of level you need, you know, in econo- economically to make all of this viable, really, you know, if you're really going to want to keep the same st- structure in place, you know, the same, the same business model, as it were, in, in place to make this thing continue, you, you know, entry fees should be like probably four times more than what they are now, you know, and, uh, and yes, you would still have to pay entry fee at the, yeah. at the gate, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's, you know, it's are you going to do that? I don't know. Like it's, it's like you think about, look, look at entry fees to enter any sort of circuit of any kind, no matter what you're talking about, sports or art or anything, you know, and it's, and it's, uh, you know, piping is ridiculous in terms of how little money we spend to do it all. So, um, so, you know, there's that too, I guess, but that's not really an answer, you know, so it doesn't really solve much. It's big food for thought. I mean, I, I think that, uh, you know, uh, I, I think, I think a reboot, I think a reboot is ultimately going to be necessary, but I think we should end that topic there because we could go on all day and just get more and more depressing. Let's see. Gary said something. What did Gary say? Or somebody said something. Or Donald said something about um, unable to get through his tunes for a week. His jaw aches. He's thinned out the reed. Okay, Donald. Um, so basically, your pipes are too hard, it sounds like. Now, um, you, you have to figure out ways to make your bagpipe more efficient. And you said you made the reed easier. Um, the other thing you really need to make sure is that your bagpipes are set up, you know, uh, uh, as efficiently as possible, because otherwise it's going to be very tough for you, um, you know, to get that, uh, to get that sort of at a comfortable level. Okay. So, so my advice to you would be to really check out the, all the maintenance stuff we have at Dojo U and, um, and yeah. go from there. It could be like a physical thing too. I mean, you know, that your jaw aching means you're probably biting down on your bow stick, which yeah. you really don't need to do. Um, you know, yeah, so maybe, be, maybe just focus on those kinds of little things. Maybe instead of biting down, just hold it in your mouth. You don't have to really bite it, and that can be contributing to things as well. Uh, yeah, and then there was another question. 
Yeah, Jim was asking, can we recommend practice techniques for the band to learn to blow tone? Okay, uh, here's my response to that, Jim. Bands do not blow tone, okay? <laughs> individuals individuals blow tone, okay? So uh, the number one thing we do in Oranmore, More, um, which, you know, we achieve a pretty high tonal quality on a consistent basis, um, you know, or as we, we achieve the best possible tonal quality that we can achieve because – we teach the individuals how uh, to produce a good tone, and we're always working with individuals. So my answer to that question in brevity is um, the practice techniques are uh, we, get on, we get on the manometers, we teach the fundamentals of blowing good tone, and then we reinforce these fundamentals um, as often as possible in order to, uh, to get things. And everybody's got to be working on them individually, too. That's the thing. That's right. I think in a band environment, that's the message you have to send is that everybody individually has to be working on this to, to uh, improve it, you know? Great. Um, I think that's a good, I think that's a good place to call it in here for today. Maybe we can have any parting thoughts here. Like Nate is asking, how much does one unsteady blower affect a group sound? Um, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not worried about it. I'm more worried about the I'm more worried about the opposite question, which is how good would it sound if every single person in the band was focused on the fundamentals of good blowing? And if we if we could succeed in teaching them that, how good could it be? I'm never concerned about how bad it how how much how much one person doing the wrong thing is going to affect it because my objective is total unison, right? Total unison, immaculate sound. You know, don't worry about that stuff. You know, we start to think about that, right? It's like, oh, well, so-and-so, like, I think we should forget about blowing for so-and-so because, you know, really it's not going to affect it that much. And the answer is, yes, it definitely affects it that much. Yeah, and that's, you know, it's, and it's a sort of that reductive mentality that we all have really about piping. It's all like, you know, what's wrong, you know? What are we doing wrong? You know, what's, what, how about how to do it right, you know? What do we need to do to make it right or how to make it right? You know, like, what are you going to do to sort of, you know, like you said, imagine how it's going to sound when it's when it's good, when you're blowing properly, you know, or something. Um, instead of worrying about how bad it's going to sound when you strike up or something. Jim says the band sounds only as good as its weakest player. I don't know. I mean, that's it's a cool saying. I don't know if it's true. <laughs> I don't know if it's true, only to, only to go so far as to say uh, we've had some pretty weak players in Oren Moore um, over the years, uh, but the band product has always been good. And, um, you know, um, it's always been good. And so I would almost maybe change that to say something like a band sounds only as good as the player with the weakest attitude, you know, because we have weak players sometimes. But the thing we, we believe in and we work at it more and more, which I think is what makes us successful, is is that everyone uh, loves the band and they want to improve individually. And so that, that attitude, I don't know, it, it makes a magical result, in my opinion. Um, and I'm pretty sure other pipe majors and leaders would agree. You know, it's about the attitude and the focus and, um, and make, you know, making your weaknesses – um, as good as possible. So. You know, when you say weakest player, too, that's a, it's a pretty vague statement. You know, if there are weaknesses, then the idea is to identify them, and each individual needs to identify them and recognize them and work toward improving them and strengthening them. Um, 
You know, it's it's you can't say, oh, you're a weak player. That doesn't even mean anything. You know, how do you like what do you do then <laughs> to, about that? OK, I won't be a weak player anymore. You know, like what, what am I going to do to not to make that happen? You know, if you're not going to be specific about those things. I mean, some people have trouble recognizing their own weaknesses sometimes. And you, as a maybe a pipe major or instructor, you might you might have the responsibility of making not taking not taking that for granted and actually showing people how to strengthen those weaknesses sometimes. Yeah, Lee says, what is the lowest grade Piper in Orin Moore? I don't know, Vin, what grade are you in? <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, 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 oh, I'm wounded. Was, wow. Um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, lowest grade Piper. See, I don't know. I mean, um, as far as solo grades are concerned, uh, we've got some Pipers that are – I think I think most people are up into grade three by now. Yeah. I don't think we have one that played um, – one of our guys that, that hasn't really ever competed before, didn't he play in grade four senior once? Am I making um, that up? I think that's true. I don't know. Oh, like, I think that might have been, uh, I think that might have been, yeah, I think it might have been Eric because he, he does not like really a solo guy. So the last time he played was in grade four. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those things. I mean, we don't really, uh, in the band, I mean, we're not really focused on that. Um, I mean, how many people in Orin Moore, you know, have um, solid fundamentals and um, a really killer instinct as far as working to improve individually. You know, that that's how we judge players. So we'll have players, we could, have, I don't know, we could have players in grade four, um, but if they have a good foundation of technique and if they're super focused, um, they're going to be playing up to our level really, really fast. Um, and that's, you know, that's, that's the name of the game. So, um, I don't know. I, 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 uh, yeah, I think people get too too wrapped up into, into grades. I hear that I hear people talk about that a lot. You know, when um, especially in lower grade bands, when you get a good piper or two in there and that are coming along and they advance through the solo grades, sometimes they feel like they're better, too good for the band, and the band really shouldn't be having them play. But it's really just the opposite that should be happening. They should yeah. be continuing to play. That's, that's for and, sure. And uh, hopefully for bringing sure. everybody um, around with them. You know, I've so. had conversations with people, um, and I know the following is true for other people too. But I would say some of the worst players we've ever had in Orin Moore were quote unquote great solo players. Um, you know, um, that's definitely true, and it has to do with the fact that, I, especially in piping culture, it can you know, and it happens in all cultures too. But once you reach a certain level of accreditation, I think maybe the ego you know takes over a little bit sometimes for people. Uh, and now it's I know everything and, and I don't need to make the adjustments. It's the other weaker players in the band that need to make adjustments. And um, and that makes them bad team members, you know, or, or it's like the it's like the point guard on the basketball team, you know, that shoots threes really well. And so they just hog the ball and run down the court and shoot threes. And, you know, it's like, well, that that works well for the first quarter of the basketball game. But for every other quarter for the rest of the season, uh, they just bring out the defense and like block your three point shots all the time. And the team doesn't. Yeah, that's like the big fish in a small pond kind of analogy, you know. Like you get, you know, this is American pipe is a very small pond, <laughs> you know. And our culture can be pretty, pretty much, uh, you know. So when you get to be the big fish, it's not necessarily you make, yeah, okay. But we're still in a very small pond here, and uh, you know, the big ocean out there has some pretty big fish, <laughs> and. That's what you really need to be focused on. That too, if you're really sort of looking for examples, on you know, um, it's it's that it's the greater world, the greater community, and, and the quality that exists out there, you know, and how you measure up against that, not necessarily how much you measure up against 
you know, your fellow player here on the East or something, you know. Yeah. And it's not about that, right? It's not about who's better than who. It's about yeah. what am I doing to make the team better? Exactly. What am I doing to make the team better? And everyone, uh, you know, I, uh, and those who play in Ornmore know I am pretty aggressive when it comes to um, seeking out people that do that and, um, you know, and uh, shall we say moving on from people who aren't willing to do that, right? What, uh, what am I doing to help the team? What am I doing to help the team? What am I doing to help the team? That's, that's the thing that, uh, that's, that's the big thing that we look for, not what grade level they're at. Now, meanwhile, if you find a uh, professional piper who's capable of asking, you know, what do I need to do to help the team? Uh, obviously that's going to be an asset. It just can be a little bit rare because usually it's, I'm a professional piper, you know, um, what, what band wants me? Yeah, you know, exactly, sometimes yeah. tends to be the attitude. What, what band will, you know, what band will like me the most? Or, yeah, exactly. Or, or worse yet thinking that, you know, you can go anywhere and just, it's just a matter of like making a phone call or something, sending an email. The people who think they can go anywhere, um, usually it's not really true because the, the, the somewhere that they'd like to go, um, you know, isn't going to be interested in that attitude too much. I don't think. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's all very interesting and it's the same, right? It's the same in all levels. It um, is, yeah. Someone was speculating that the lower grade bands, um, you know, the attitudes are worse than in the upper grade bands. That's definitely true because you have to have a certain degree of a good attitude to get your playing to the level uh, of a higher grade band. Um, so, so yeah, how do you motivate, how do you motivate, uh, hobbyists, let's say, uh, for lack of a better term, how do you motivate hobbyists to have a great team attitude? Uh, that's the million dollar question. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that's, that's a whole sort of band management thing, which I think could be a topic for another show, but, um, you know, and it becomes a management, you know, managing your organization, no matter what level you are, you know, success is there. It's just a matter of whether or not you can, you know, all pull together and focus on it. And, and if you all want to achieve the same things, you know, um, yeah. it's really what it's more about than anything else. Cool. Well, let's wrap it up there, folks. I know I said that 10 minutes ago and yet here we are. Um, we got to get going uh, to our one o'clock meeting. So um, we'll call it in there. But thanks very much for joining us. And we'll be back uh, next week, of course, for more Dojo Universe. Um, you're, you know, thanks to everybody for the really good questions and, uh, you know, um, any, yeah. any time you have a question, you know, people are thinking about good stuff out there, you know, yeah, you're thinking about the right things, right? Um, the question is the prerequisite to the answer. So it's good that you're thinking, all right, what, what has to happen here? And we're always happy to help. Uh, we're always, uh, you know, always trying to make bagpiping a more enjoyable thing for y'all. So, all right, let's do it. We'll see you later. All right. Have a good day. Thanks for coming out, everybody.